This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Coming up on today's show, we're in the Mardi Gras groove with Delphio Marcellus. His latest CD, Uptown on Mardi Gras Day, is just out from Troubadour Jazz Records. And a Tennessee Williams classic tragedy, A Streetcar Named Desire, continues the season for the Marini Opera Ballet. But first... Heart disease, high blood pressure, and hypertension. These health issues are not only prominent in the Gulf South, but disproportionately impact black communities. That's why some doctors are planning to team up with churches to bring medical interventions directly to people who need them the most. Gulf States Newsroom health reporter Shalina Chatlani goes to a church where community members are spreading the gospel on how to stay healthy. It's daily mass at St. Joseph the Worker Church in Marrera, Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans. Louisiana, alongside its neighbors, Alabama and Mississippi, have some of the highest rates of heart disease in the nation. And black residents are more likely than white residents to experience high blood pressure. At this predominantly black church, parishioners are aware of the statistics because a lot of people here have either experienced a health condition like hypertension themselves or know someone who has. Except we pray this sacrifice from your faithful servants. When people stood up for prayer requests, nearly all of them were about a child who was sick or a friend in the hospital. So many aren't just attending church functions to be well spiritually, but also to be well physically. I remember growing up as a little girl going to the boucheries where they um, actually shot the hog in the head and uh, they made blood sausage and, and they fried everything, cracklings, chicken. That's Octavia Fennedy, a longtime member of St. Joseph. And I know a lot of people in the community still do that, but it's not really healthy for us. Fennedy is a member of the church's health ministry, which has been around for a few decades. The goal is to teach the community how to be healthier. Fennedy, who has diabetes and has survived cancer twice, knows how difficult it can be to go to the doctor. There's often judgment, a lack of cultural sensitivity, and racism in the medical field. I feel like they don't take, the doctor does not take as much time with me as they do with a, maybe a Caucasian patient. Um, so I don't feel like I get the right treatment, so why go? There are also practical issues, like lack of insurance. Am I going to get the medicine or am I going to buy my groceries? I have to eat. So that's where we see a lot of the disparities coming. These opinions are shared by many. So the health ministry has sought to ease those concerns. They have health fairs where they invite nurses to do routine checkups and educators to come and speak on topics like exercise and diet. And this safe space has worked. People here have caught issues like kidney disease by participating in these programs. That's why Tulane University doctors and public health researchers are launching a study to team up with churches like St. Joseph. Dr. Keith C. Ferdinand is a cardiologist and co-lead on Tulane's CHERISH program, which will place community health workers and nurses directly in about four dozen churches across the greater New Orleans area to treat hypertension and reduce risk of heart disease within black communities. So for many years, we have seen that clinical community linkages taking an academic center and linking it with the community site have some benefit. 
probably one of the best shown examples was in Los Angeles. It's called the Los Angeles Barbershop Study. The Barbershop Study's results were published in 2018. It placed pharmacists within dozens of salons and created a safe space for black men to monitor their blood pressure and get prescription medicine. And the result was that the majority of participants were able to significantly lower their blood pressure after talking to their barbers. Ferdinand says communities of color need alternatives to the hospital. Tulane believes churches are one way to close the gap, especially in the South. The solution is to treat everyone regardless of race, ethnicity, sex, gender, socioeconomic status, or geography, but we're not there. So if you can see patients in a comfortable community-based environment, that may be superior to having the patient come into the hospital clinic for services. Back at St. Joseph, Father Sidney Speaks agrees this is a great place to monitor health. So why the place of the church? Because it's always been a major center, a center of community life, a center of the life of the person, the center of the family. This kind of outreach has been successful in the past. St. Joseph has been the site of vaccination campaigns during the COVID-19 pandemic. You're already at a place that is pushing you to be better. So it kind of makes sense. If I'm coming to church where I'm going to be spiritually made well, well, then that will be a place where I could be made well uh, physically. Speak says he's excited at the prospect of having a dedicated team of researchers and community health workers focusing on his parishioners later this year. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Shalina Chutlani. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The sound of Carnival continues to evolve, and a bold new release from Delphio Marcellus and the Uptown Jazz Orchestra is the latest to help you get your parade groove on. It's called Uptown on Mardi Gras Day. Acclaimed trombonist Delphio Marcellus joins us now by phone. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hey, hey. Hey, congrats on the new CD. Thanks very much, and uh, it's been a little while coming, but we thought that this would be a great way to celebrate the New Orleans vibe. Yeah. Keep the party rolling, as we like to say. <laughs> you have a mix of original works and some rearranged classic carnival hits. Tell me, what goes through your mind when considering a rearrangement of a classic hit, say, Mardi Gras Mambo? Yeah, so the first question is, you know, to what degree do we want to keep the original arrangement? And the second question is, to, to what degree do we want to change it and to have our modern sound? So that's a great example. I played an instrumental version, so it's one without the vocals, and it's just trombone playing the melody, and it's very similar to the original arrangement. Then what we did for the, the final track on the album is what I call Mardi Gras Mambo for the Jazz Cats. And we play it with an up-tempo swing.
kind of an irony because the song is no mambo in it at all. It just swings the whole way through. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, it's like my sense of humor about things. It's like, you know, you're going to have a mambo and there's no mambo. I understand that the uh, the second one, the last track on the album, uh, in parentheses, says for the jazz cats. And jazz is spelled with two S's as opposed to two Z's. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know, that was the original spelling of jazz was J-S-S back at the turn of the century. And uh, of the turn of the last century, I guess I should say. And sometimes we like to use that reference. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of show how things have, have kind of evolved and where we were back then. One of my favorites is New Suit. What have you done there? Yes, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we started a new nonprofit, uh, Keep New Orleans Music Alive, KNOMA. And through that, we were able to meet a number of the big chiefs and big queens and the Indians, the black masking Indians, and really got to have a better understanding of what they represent in our community and our culture. You know, every year they spend a year creating a new suit. And we just know it as we want to see the the feathers and the the bright colors and we want to see the Indians on parade. But there's a a serious, you know, kind of cultural significance to what they're doing. Our goal is just trying to pay tribute to them with a funky groove. And touched Al Johnson's Carnival Time. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing there is we played a little slower than he plays. His version is really up-tempo. And not only did we slow it down a little bit, but we kept that groove. I think we got, you know, a strong groove. It's a shuffle groove. But we also added the, the big band element. And that's one of the great sounds because the, the Carnival Time, the original is more of a small group. As most, most actually all carnival music is small groups. Yeah. And having a big band, it gives us a lot of different options. So we have like what we consider a big band shout starting the song off. And then we go to the. So, you know, carnival time, they started the original with that group, that riff. Now, tell us about your original works and how they came about. Let's start with the title cut, Uptown on Mardi Gras Day. Yeah, so Tanya Boyd, Cannon, and I, this is the second song we've composed. We did the title track from the last CD, Jazz Party. And I just, you know, I'm uptown boy. I, I grew up uptown and I live uptown. I like the idea of it. And I just came up with the melody. And it's the same way Tanya came up with the riff. Na, 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 na. I'm going uptown on Mardi Gras Day. I'm going up time. You know, so I sang that. And she said, yeah, we need something like, na, 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 na. I said, oh, yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's a true collaboration there. Na, 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 na.
can you follow that with Uptown Boogie? Yeah, Uptown Boogie is a, a track that uh, we met. I wrote during the, the pandemic, and it's like a celebration. It's like got that uh, that rumba, got the sound of a rumba, and it's just you know a great instrumental track. It's a blues, so it's kind of a tribute to Alan Toussaint and uh, you know Professor Longhead, the kind of the blueses that they might write, and it's just a nice. It grew, I got a little bit of that Ellington in the end. That's his last chorus. But, and then Bramford was gracious enough to step in and provide a real soulful tenor saxophone. Andrew Bayham playing the trumpet solo. So that's actually my favorite track on, on the album. Let's talk about the Uptown Jazz Orchestra. How did it form? You know, it started in 2008. The only reason we originally formed was so that we could play Ellington's Nutcracker Suite. So we practiced for about three months, and we really worked hard. And then after the concerts were over, the guy said, man, we ought to just keep this thing going, which I had considered. But I said, yeah, that sounds like a bad idea. And over the years, it's evolved. And Roger Lewis, who, of course, was an original a founding member and also founding member of the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, he started bringing in the brass band tunes. And that's kind of how we got our real identity, is not only playing what you consider the, the swing and the bebop and the modern jazz, but also we're playing some of the, uh, the brass band classics. And that's what gives us a unique sound. How big is the jazz orchestra? We typically travel with 16 and that's including Tanya Boyd Cannon, who is our primary vocalist. And it's usually, you know, four trumpets. We have three or four trombones, five saxophones, and uh, three or four rhythm. That's, you know, typically. But, you know, we can have a smaller group as well. We have that kind of flexibility. <laughs> but all of these songs, it's like a celebration. You know, yeah. that's really important. I think that's what New Orleans does so well. That's why everybody loves coming here, coming to New Orleans. It's because of the celebration. And that's what we really wanted this CD to represent. What is your biggest hope for Revelers this carnival season? Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about, you know. And I mean, if, if uh, we learned anything the past couple of years, that we really have to enjoy the time that we have out here and make the best of it. So we, uh, we're just going to come out here. We're going to keep, you know, swinging. We're going to keep playing. We're going to keep it funky and have a good time. Acclaimed trombonist, Delphio Marcellus. This was fun. Yes, ma'am. I'm looking forward to it. Uptown on Mardi Gras Day with Delphio Marcellus and the Uptown Jazz Orchestra is just out from Troubadour Jazz Records. More info is online at dmarcellus, that's M-A-R-S-A-L-I-S dot com. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. The Marigny Opera Ballet continues its ninth season with the premiere of A Streetcar Named Desire. The ballet is based on the classic Tennessee Williams tragedy set in 1940s New Orleans. The dance composition was created by acclaimed choreographer Jogo de Lima, who joins us in the studio with artistic director Dave Herbert. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thanks for having us, Diane. Thank you. This is a complicated, passionate drama. 
How did you come to choose this work by Tennessee Williams to premiere in your ninth season, Dave? Well, because Streetcar Named Desire happened about seven blocks from the Marini Opera House in the 1940s, I thought that was an obvious thing for us to attempt. I started planning it three years ago. COVID derailed it. We had to shelve it. We took it off the shelf this past summer, and Tucker Fuller, our composer, began writing the score. It's for an orchestra of 14 musicians. It is a tragedy, and I like doing feel-good pieces, light entertainment. We do that a lot, although we have had tragedies in the past. Orfeo, Giselle Deland, Carell, and it's a bit disturbing. It's disturbing to watch. It's not sexually or violently explicit, but the overtones of all of this and the destruction of the character Blanche Dubois is unsettling. I'm glad we're doing it. If anyone's going to do it, we should. Now, Jogo, how difficult was it for you to create a full-length ballet in this classic stage drama? Well, it was a bit challenging to start this project just because once you try to erase all the text from a play, you're just left with what's known said. And I decided to take the essence of things that are not said, but it's felt. Getting each character's personalities and a bit of their background just to build the body that will exist on that play. And what is a little bit overwhelming, it's once you try to understand everyone's feelings and how do they react when they are confronted with a different feeling that is coming from somebody else. And it's almost like an atomic bomb of emotions and contradictions and beliefs. So it's like a chaos of emotion, I would say. Yeah. So that was my challenge, to try to organize all those different personalities, all those different feelings and the way of living of each one and you know, just trying to be cohesive with their storyline. Dave, can you tell us the storyline? It involves Blanche Dubois. She has grown up on a plantation which is ruined. All of her relatives have died. She's fallen into a decadent lifestyle and is broke. She gets on the train to New Orleans to visit her sister, Stella, and Stella's husband, Stanley Kowalski. They live on Elysian Fields. While she's there, she descends further and further into tragedy, and at the end is destroyed. The last scene, I don't think it's giving the whole plot away, she's escorted by a psychiatric nurse to a hospital. It sounds pretty grim, but there's a lot of wonderful dancing in it and a lot of wonderful characters and character portrayals. And I think it's a good way to see the play. You don't have to read it or listen to words. Your leading lady is Lauren Gines in the role of Blanche Dubois. Tell us about her and, and what she brings to this performance. She's a remarkable dancer. What she brings to it is her ability to act on top of the dancing. She's not just a dancer. She could be a film actress. And so you get both of this together during Streetcar. The music is very accessible, very harmonic, focuses on melody. In this case, the score features the piano 
the piano takes the part of Blanche Dubois. I love this because it's a very nervous and doomed kind of piano. It comes in and out throughout the entire score and is quite haunting. The last scene is devastating, musically. It's how you would imagine a tragedy to end, musically. Now, earlier you were saying that the Marigny Opera Ballet has presented other tragedies in its repertoire, but would you say that there is something different about this production? The movement and the sense of tragedy and the timing of the tragedy is quite different. This is also a close-to-home tragedy, because it takes place down the street, and that makes a difference. Orfeo was set in ancient Greece. Giselle Delande, that was set in New Orleans, but that was in the 20s. Streetcar happens right down the street, and it didn't happen all that long ago. So it's accessible and more powerful and more poignant, to me anyway, than any Greek tragedy. It's like your neighbors, you know? Now, for audience members familiar with the stage drama or the movie, what do you think will be most memorable from this ballet experience of a streetcar named Desire? Chogo? Well, <laughs> I think it's a more intimate look at each character. Nothing actually is hidden. Dave? I think Chogo's exactly right. The Marini Opera House is surprisingly intimate, especially for dance performances. You're sitting right there. By the stage. So in a case like this, you're actually taking part in the tragedy. There's no distance, really. You're sitting right there with Blanche Dubois. And that makes it so powerful. I love going to the rehearsals because I'm enwrapped in this every day, this tragedy. But the good thing is, it's a catharsis, you know? I love feel-good ballets. I love happy ballets. But every once in a while, you got to hold up a mirror, you know? And look at yourself and your culture and what's happening. And you've got to have a dose of reality to it. And once you do that, I find it a very healthy thing, a very healthy release, that you've touched base. And then you move on. Marini Opera Ballet Artistic Director Dave Herbert and choreographer Jogo De Lima. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having us, Dave. Thanks for having us. The Marini Opera Ballet premieres A Streetcar Named Desire, with performances running February 24th through 26th. More info is online at marinioperaballet.org. In the interest of full disclosure, I am a member of the Marini Opera House Foundation Board. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. I'd like to thank our guest, Gulf States Newsroom health reporter, Shalina Chatlani, trombonist, Elfio Marcellus, and from the Marini Opera Ballet, Dave Herbert and Jogo De Lima. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, 
and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.